Good day. My name is Adam Armstrong from the Center for Analytics and Behavioral Change, and you're on The Pulse. Today, I'm talking to Jean Leroux, a research associate at the Digital Forensic Research Lab. Recently, he published an article uncovering the identity of the xenophobic Twitter profile, Ulurato Pile. Morning, Jean. How are you doing? Uh, good, thanks. And you, Adam? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks so much for joining us today. That's a pleasure. We wanted to chat about the expose you recently did on Ulurato Pile. Can you maybe just give the listeners a background to that, um, who he or she was and what's happening with that campaign? Yeah, so basically the Ulerato Pele uh, Twitter account was an account that we started investigating um, early in July. Um, we started getting reports about the account a bit earlier in the year. Um, initially, it was just like one or two people asking us to find out what's going on with the account, saying it looks suspicious. And um, probably by mid-March, we were getting quite frequently, we were being tagged in posts by people asking, you know, who is this guy? Who's tweeting this stuff? Who's behind this account? Um, when we started looking at the account, it was quite clear that, that there's a very um, definite xenophobic narrative being pushed by the account. Um, it was clear from the tweets that was being put out that they targeted foreign nationals. It was clear from the content of those tweets that foreign nationals were being blamed for um, relatively common social ills in South Africa. And it became quite apparent that there's something more to this. This is a coordinated campaign being orchestrated by the individual behind this account. And we obviously, uh, as the DFR lab and doing the work that we do, we decided to pick at it and see if we could figure out uh, who was running the account. Uh, from that investigation, um, there was basically two investigations that eventually led to the identification of the individual. Uh, the first one kind of looked at, you know, associations between the Twitter account and some of its off-platform uh, activities. And from that investigation, we managed to pin down a name, Safiso Jaguala. Um, at the time, we couldn't confirm or link that name to a specific individual. Um, as we still needed to corroborate some of the evidence that we found but didn't publish at the time. And then the second uh, investigation that was published, I think it was on the 23rd of September that was published. Um, the second investigation that was published on the 23rd of September actually contained the individual himself. So we managed to link him to Sufiso Jeffrey Guala, who's a former SANDF member um, stationed in uh, KwaZulu Natal. And we managed to get quite a lot of details of him, even corroborating it with uh, official court records. And for people who haven't seen any of the tweets, could you give an example of the kind of stuff that they were saying and, and what Ulurato Pillar was talking about online? Yeah, you know, was, it's quite interesting. In response to the investigation, a lot of the kind of negative reaction that we got related to the fact that we labeled it as xenophobic. Um, the account wasn't overtly xenophobic in stating go out and harm foreign nationals or go out and, and kill Zimbabweans. It wasn't that kind of xenophobia. But what it was doing over months and months, um, it was building up this narrative, blaming foreign nationals for social ills. Um, some of the examples that, that we found was where he'd take photographs from a Nigerian hospital uh, where overcrowding was taking place and people were sleeping on the floors and then saying this is a South African hospital that's overcrowded because foreign nationals are being given beds and South African citizens need to sleep on the floor. Now, that's not to say overcrowding doesn't take place in South African hospitals, 
But blaming foreign nationals alone for that isn't the way to go. Uh, similarly, there are examples where you took reports of crime um, in specific communities and then exchanged the word suspects to Zimbabwean nationals or to Malawians or to Congolese nationals. And what this did over a series or over a sequence of months was give this impression that foreign nationals are responsible for things like high crime rates and unemployment um, and a lack of service delivery, which is unfortunately not the sole cause of these ills. So I noticed you called the campaign xenophobic, even though they said that it's not xenophobic. Yes, definitely. I mean, the xenophobia doesn't cling, the, the word xenophobia doesn't mean to go out and kill foreign nationals. Um, it's inciting this idea that foreign nationals are to blame and that in order to solve the problem, you need to remove foreign nationals from, um, from South Africa. And that's kind of the messaging that they've been pushing under the Put South African First hashtag. Um, if you ask anybody using the hashtag, they will tell you that this is a pro-South African movement. This is a movement that's aiming to put South Africans first. But if you just scratch beneath the, that thin patriotic veneer, you'll find a lot of the comments are less about putting South Africans first and more about putting foreign nationals last. The aim isn't to ensure that there's enough jobs for South Africans. It's to get rid of foreign nationals so South Africans can take those same jobs. The problem with that approach is, of course, that because foreign nationals aren't the main problem or the main cause of these issues, even if you remove them from the equation, the same problem will still persist. There will still be high crime, there will still be high unemployment, and there will still be a lack of service delivery. So they're blaming the wrong person for the problem. Exactly. Do you have a sense of why that's happening? Like, What is the campaign trying to achieve? Um, just in terms of getting a hold of the... You know, the purpose of a campaign, that's it's something quite tricky. It's very hard to see if and how they are monetizing something like this. Um, normally with disinformation campaigns, you try and see if you can find a money trail because that leads you to who's involved and who's responsible for orchestrating. And in this case, there's no clear money trail going out from the Put South Africa First hashtag and the individuals kind of um, amplifying the, the campaign. Um, what that thing tends to lead to in our experience is that it's more of a political campaign being run. It's somebody using foreign nationals as a political lever to um, either gain support or to you know, steal support from elsewhere. Uh, there's obviously in South Africa, there's more than enough um, reason for individuals to feel disillusioned. There's promises that the government hasn't kept. There's uh, a lot the government stands accused of, and rightly so. But trying to use xenophobia and trying to use that discontent to place the blame on foreign nationals is something that could backfire quite, quite badly. And unfortunately, we've got a history of fatal violence against foreign nationals. So you called it a campaign. Can you maybe explain that? And you, and you spoke about how this is a coordinated campaign. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, this, uh, the CIBC itself has, has done a lot of research on um, on how this campaign was orchestrated, looking at the number of accounts amplifying a message. Um, it's something we as, as the DFR lab also look at when we try and identify whether a campaign is authentic, whether it's actual people engaging on a topic in an organic and natural way, or whether it's being orchestrated in a way that would game social media algorithms. 
Um, and I mean, your research and our findings as well confirm that there's a very small number of accounts that are aggressively pushing the Put South Africa First hashtag. Um, there's almost a kind of an agreement on which hashtag will be used on a specific day. And this thing gets tweeted out early in the morning. The small central cluster of accounts then amplify that hashtag. And by the time regular users wake up, they see, you know, Nigerians must go is trending or Zimbabweans must footsack is trending. And that gives you the impression that there's, you know, there's a reason therefore something must have happened. And once you start looking, you find these tweets by Ularato Pele saying, well, Zimbabwean nationals have been caught stealing uh, copper cables or they've been caught stealing cell phone batteries. When in actual fact, that's a photograph taken from a neighborhood watch group that only identified four suspects. There's no mention of their nationality at all. And over time, this keeps on giving that impression that there's a wider support for that puts South Africa first hashtag. And there's a wider support for uh, hashtags like Nigerians must go and foreigners must footsack, which isn't necessarily the case, uh, looking at the actual accounts amplifying that. Okay, Thank, thanks for explaining that. So maybe if you could talk about what you found was a network of people engaged in a coordinated campaign spreading xenophobic sentiment online. Um, can you maybe talk us through how you specifically did that, like the actual technical piece of that research? Yeah, on the technical side, uh, basically what we did is we've got access to quite a large number of media monitoring tools that's constantly listening to Twitter and, you know, picking out threads and picking out individuals, following trends. And what we basically did was we looked at the Put South Africa First hashtag and to see who are the main drivers, what's the main uh, individuals tweeting about the specific hashtag. And what you would find is... Uh, in addition to the Put South Africa First hashtag, there are a number of almost uh, collateral hashtags being attached. But they don't only tweet Put South Africa First, they also tweet, say, for example, uh, Nigerians must go. And if you start looking at these secondary hashtags and the individuals that were mostly involved in retweeting those, a pattern starts emerging of the same, um, I think we found about 40 or 50 accounts that keep on engaging in this, those secondary hashtags. And not only do they engage with them the most, they're usually the ones engaging with them first as well. So what you end up over time and over across the spectrum of these hashtags that are frequently associated with Put South Africans First, you find the same 40 or 50 accounts um, firstly creating the hashtag and then secondly amplifying it to a large extent. And if you then look at the overall traffic of a specific hashtag, you'll find that there's a disproportionate amount of the traffic is generated by these small cluster of accounts. And then the rest of the traffic is done by, you know, regular persons or people who are um, engaging with the hashtag in an organic way. And the fact that there's a very small number of accounts responsible for a large or a disproportionately large amount of the traffic is a good indicator that the campaign is being orchestrated. So we noticed some of that with the CABC and we published that piece in the Daily Maverick about it. Um, and we were able, using our, also the same kind of thing, using our analytics tools to show how there's a network and they're, they're all supporting each other. And so it looks like a real conversation, but really it's, it's being managed and the optics of that are, are being positioned in a very particular way. 
The piece that we were really impressed with was how you then exposed Tefiso Guala. Would you be able to talk us through that? Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, the investigation into the identity behind Ularatupele was done in two different investigations. Um, in the first one, we managed to link the Ularatupele account with the identity of Sufiso J. Guala. And we managed to do that by looking back at the very first tweets sent out by the Ularatupele Twitter account. Um, the account was created on the 1st of November and when we went back to go and see who was tweeting and replying to the account on the 1st, the 2nd, and the 3rd of November, we found that the account handle at that stage was, in fact, at Sufiso 82648954. The account seems to have changed um, between the 2nd and the 6th of November because that was the same time that we saw a decline in the number of replies to that user handle. And at the same time, an increase in the number of replies to the Ularata Pele Twitter handle. So that decline in replies to, to the Sufiso account and the rise in the replies to the Ularata Pele account around about the 6th of November tells us that that was round about where the, the uh, user handle was changed. So with that, and then uh, linking that with several tweets that we found on the Ularata Pele account that was mentioning an individual by the name of Sufiso Guala. Uh, there was a change.org petition that was shared by Ularata Pele that was created by an individual by the name of Sufiso Jaguala. There was a radio interview that was shared by the Ularata Pele account that was conducted by an individual by the name of Sufiso Guala. So these persistent links between the Ularata Pele account and an ind- individual by the name of Sufiso Jaguala. Um, At that stage, we couldn't pin it to an identity, even though we had a good suspicion of who it might be. And that only came during the second part of the investigation. Um, And one of the triggers for the second investigation was when we published the first one, the Ularatupele account and by extension, uh, Sifiso Guala, tried to destroy or hide some of the evidence linking him to the Ularatupele account. Uh, For starters, the change.org petition that, that I mentioned earlier, where the user that was that was responsible for creating that uh, petition, uh, initially it was known as Sufiso Jaguala. But after we published our piece, that was changed to Temba Mtia. Uh, I actually had a look at the source code of the webpage, and I could see that in terms of change.org's uh, user IDs, it was the exact same user but the user had gone into change.org and actually changed its username to now reflect Temba Mtia. Um, in addition, there was a Facebook account that we were looking at prior to publication um, for Sofiso Jaguala. And after the publication went live, that Facebook account was shut down. And there was, a, obviously, these are in isolation, these things might have been coincidence. But the fact that there were so many of these coincidences cropping up and all of these coincidences were persistently linking back to Sufisa Guala um, was something that, that was, you know, it kind of led us to believe that we are on, on the right track. So with that name in mind, we then started to broaden our search to kind of see if there's any other details we could find from the Twitter account that might link to a specific individual. And one of the big things that stood out from the Ularata Pele uh, Twitter account was its knowledge of the SANDF. There was a large number of tweets where he was 
able to identify the ranks and the deployments of uh, SANDF soldiers just based on a picture of him. Uh, there are instances where he managed to identify that an individual is deployed to the logistics corps or to the engineering corps just based on the color of their berets. Uh, there were also quite a few tweets in which he mentioned the deployments of the SANDF as uh, part of a peacekeeping force in the Congo in 2015. And just the nature of these tweets showed that he had a very deep understanding of the SANDF culture, of their deployments and their, their insignia and their regalia. So we knew we were looking for somebody that was involved in the, in the SANDF that it, that's named Sufiso Jaguala. But in particular, one of the issues that he, keep, he kept on cropping up or kept on bringing up was these uh, repatriated soldiers that were dismissed for uh, misconduct during their deployment in the Congo in 2015. And I started scratching around and that eventually I found court documentation that was submitted by these 34 soldiers in a bid to get their jobs back. And listed among these 34 soldiers was the Sufiso Jeffrey Guala. Um, based in a um, SANDF based in KwaZulu-Natal. There were quite a number of tweets by Lerato Pele mentioning Richards Bay specifically, which is where Sufisa Guala stays. And I mean, all of this just ties it up into this, um, you know, this web of disparate links that makes it very difficult for him to actually get out and deny that it was him. To just to add some icing on to the cake, we managed to find two cell phone numbers uh, for Sufiso Guala. And one of them, ironically, if you enter them into Truecaller, Lerato Pillay actually pops up as, um, as the user assigned to that specific phone number. So that's quite a comprehensive piece of research you've done that proved it. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 very, it's exceptionally convoluted. And it's one of the reasons why the investigation took so long. It's to, to try and put all of these disparate links together in a way that makes sense and that brings you to that, that final conclusion. It's um, quite easy to find, you know, a single Easter egg in a, a proverbial needle in the haystack, but then to have like five or six of these needles laid down next to each other to explain why they actually came from the same, um, you know, box at the end of the day is, mm. is quite tricky. Yeah, so I read your piece on Daily Maverick and it's very long and technical and I can imagine for a number of listeners they're a bit confused by it, but it does seem to me to paint a very clear picture that Sufiso Jaguala is Ulurato Pile. What was the response that you received once you published that piece? The reaction to the second investigation was, was quite something else. Um, when we published the first piece, uh, the reaction was mixed. Uh, some people were supportive of our efforts to identify the individual behind the account. Well, at the same time, a few people were asking us, you know, what's the purpose behind this? Why are we doing this? Um, so what if his name is Sufiso Guala? Um, even from the Lerato Pele account itself, there was some hubris and he was making jokes at you know, individuals trying to identify him before and failing. Um, with the second investigation, which was quite conclusive and, and went down to you know, naming and even showing a picture of the individual, um, the response was a lot more vehement. Um, there were a lot of accounts, you know, questioning what our motives were. They were questioning my citizenship as a South African, you know, claiming that I might be a foreigner myself. Um, there were a lot of people asking us what the point is and also a lot of deflection, asking us to, 
you know, rather spend our time and resources investigating, you know, Cyril Ramaphosa's um, bank statements or the 500 billion uh, in COVID relief funds that was was released. So there was a lot of deflection and anger um, in response to to the investigation, and there was also quite a lot of deflection in the sense that their um, their angle was that because we were trying to find out who the person behind this account was, in essence means that we are supporting foreign nationals in their endeavours to commit crime in South Africa and to traffic uh, South Africans for sexual purposes and so on. And that's obviously not the case. The fact that we investigated him was vested in the nature of his tweets, the fact that he was inciting xenophobic violence, even indirectly, in a country that's got a history of fatal um, action against foreign nationals. Uh, we've seen it in as far back as 2008, where South Africans have actually went as far as, as killing foreign nationals and each other um, as part of these violent protests. And once that genius out of the bottle, you can't get it back in again. We've spoken a little bit about the motives behind the network. Do you have a sense of what they're trying to achieve or where they're trying to take this, this Put South Africans First protest? Um, if, if I had to wager a guess, and it's obviously purely speculation at this point, um, I would think that this is something political. It's uh, individuals with political aspirations that are trying to use the momentum of this movement to get themselves in a position where they can be elected. Um, there's obviously a lot of popular support for this because it's vested in, you know, the, the crime issue, the unemployment issue, and the service delivery issues that, that we face daily. So it's almost as if the discontent in the way that the current government is running the show is being channeled into this uh, negative sentiments towards foreign nationals. And at the same time, you know, there's a political organization that will step up and say, well, foreign nationals are the problem. We're here to solve that. So if I had to wager a guess, this is a case of an organization creating a fictitious problem or creating a fictitious cause for very real problems and then coming up with a solution at the same time in order to drum up political support and then likely uh, contest some kind of an election going forward. It sounds like a really cynical way to look at South Africa's problems with unemployment and crime and violence and then to blame it on foreigners. Do you have any idea which political party is behind that or who would be driving that process? Uh, from our investigation, there were three political parties that were involved with um, the Ularate Pele account at some stage or another. The first was um, Herman Mashaba's uh, political party. Back then it was still called the People's Dialogue and it's since rebranded to Action Essay. And lately, it seems there's been a bit of a schism between, between the two. The Good South African First crowd and the Action SA crowd seems to have developed a bit of a split, uh, mainly because Mashaba's party has distanced itself from violence against uh, foreign nationals. Um, the second party that was quite involved with the Ularate Pele account was the African Transformation Movement. So this is a party that's uh, it's a relatively small party. I think it's only got a single seat in, in Parliament. And it's, it is historically, it was one of the first parties to actually use the Put South Africans First hashtag um, during its electioneering campaign in 2008, I think it's 2019. So they were actually the first to use that phrase, but they never coined it on social media. That was up to the 
Ularaadse Pillai uh, account to do that. And they kind of tagged onto and rode along with the hashtag as Ularaadse Pillai brought that into, into prominence. Um, the last party, and this is likely the one that, uh, or the one party that I think is most likely to be um, you know, very intrinsically involved in, in the Ularaadse Pillai account and the way that it operates, is the Put South Africa First political party. This is a very small party. It didn't get any seats in previous elections. Um, it's run by a guy by the name of Mario Kumali. And the old Twitter account for Safiso Gwala, one of the accounts that the Ularate Pele Twitter account interacted with quite often, listed itself as a member of the South Africa First Party. And there's a lot of incentive for the Put South Africa First Party to kind of ride on this this hashtag and to ride on the negative sentiment towards foreign nationals. It's coming from a very low electoral base. It's tapping into that discontent um, into current government service offerings and the high crime rate and the high unemployment rate. And at the same time, it's kind of its manifesto ties in and dovetails nicely with the anti-foreigner narrative that's being amplified by Ulrata Pillay. So again, it's purely speculation, but if I had to, you know, pin a tail to the donkey, this would be likely where it could go. So your thinking is that Sufiso Gwala Ulrata Pillay is taking instruction from a political party looking to capitalize on this stuff. Yeah, I mean there's always when we look at disinformation campaigns, you, you try and find if there's a source for money, where the funding is coming from. So in, in the case of a fake news site, for example, there's advertising involved. They get their money from Google ads running on the site, for example. Um, if, it's, if you can't see where any funding is coming from, that means that there's something else behind it that's funding it. And whether that's a political organization or a businessman with deep pockets and a vested interest, or um, it's very hard to tell looking from the outside, looking from the surface as, as we do. Um, at the same time, what we can do is we can look at who benefits from a, a specific campaign. And that was quite clear. For example, in the case of the Gupta bots, we could see that their aim was to massage the reputation of the Gupta brothers um, while they were facing corruption allegations and they were really struggling with keeping the image clean. And as it turned out, eventually, they were involved in, in that kind of orchestrated campaign. In this case, the only thing we can do in, while we're looking at the, the cluster of accounts that are amplifying the Put South Africa First hashtags to look at who will benefit from this. And what seems to stand out is that a political benefit is very clear in this. There's a lot of discontent that can be used to um, steal votes from both the EFF and the, the ANC. And at the same time, a party that would benefit most from this are these three, the Action SA party, uh, the ATM, and the Put South Africans First parties. And the party that the Ularata Pillay account has the strongest link with is the Put South Africa First party. And what's happened since that expose was written? Uh, well, the first thing that's actually happened is that Safiso Gwala has, has actually come out of the woodwork. He's actually come back, he's, he's resuscitated an old Twitter account of his, and he's now actually tweeting under his old name, um, there's quite a few instances where the Ularato Pele account was retweeting tweets sent out by Safiso Gwala's own Twitter account. And it seems that he's been trying to build up his own name as a brand in the, the, in the wake of the, the piece that we published. So he's having a conversation with himself is what's happening. 
Yes, basically. So he's actually retweeting himself and, you know, commenting under Ulerate Pele's tweets with his own account. Um, this isn't something new for Safiso Guala. Um, during the, the first part of the investigation, we actually found tweets where Safiso Guala was speaking to himself as Lerato Pele, asking him to sell the account back to him. So there's this this back and forth that he has with his own accounts with himself. It's not something new that he's that he's doing. So he's having a conversation with himself, pretending to sell himself his own account. Exactly. And what happened was that a few days after that, the Sufiso Guala underscore SA account, which he was using, um, that changed its name to um, a a Twitter handle that resembles a different an, another. A social media influencer, another quite a large following account on social media. And it was suspended about three or four days after that. And the impression that I had at that stage was that he was knew that he was going to try and get that account suspended or he knew that account might be suspended. So he was using that to say, well, sell me this account. But when it does get suspended, he could use that as a way to say, well, Sofiso Guala is now running the Ularato Pele account. So even back then, it seems like he had this aspiration to link himself um, with the Ulerato Pele brand once it started gaining some some prominence. So it's all about how you position yourself in front of the audience and how these characters and their accounts position themselves in relation to one another. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to um, exploit on a social media environment. You've got a very small number of characters uh, to work with. Uh, the unfortunate consequences of that is that nuance uh, gets lost by the wayside. You don't have the chance to explain things in depth and look at you know facts and statistics. It's very hard to get a proper research finding into 280 characters in a way that's concise and still makes sense. And the other problem is that with social media, people tend to stay or to shy away from complexity. It's very easier to blame a foreign national for stealing your job, and that's why you're unemployed, than to consider the fact that we are in the midst of a global pandemic and that there are years and years of broken promises from the ANC that's built on the back of an apartheid government that was basically ignoring 80% of the population and only benefiting a very small uh, portion of the same population. So it's much more appealing to you know, pick the simpler narrative than trying to understand and follow through with a more complex one. And it's one of the reasons why accounts like these that are pushing a very single, a very narrow narrative are so successful in what they do. Um, it's because it's just easier for people to engage with. It's easier to understand and it's easier to buy into. It's one of the, the issues we've had with the CBC is realizing how complex topics like crime or violence don't lend themselves to, to conversation online. But we're now merging into next week's podcast, which is going to look at the Gupta bots and the mis- and disinformation campaigns you've been tracking and the work of the DFLR. So let's say goodbye for today and we will pick that up again next week. Thank you very much, Adam. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks so much, John. And that is all the time that we have for today. Thanks again to our special guest, John LaRue, Research Associate at the Digital Forensic Research Lab talking to us about Put South Africans First and Ularato Pillay's xenophobic network on Twitter. Join us again next week to talk about GuptaBots and White Monopoly Capital.